Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In a cinematic letter to his son, native Rapa Nui, Easter Island filmmaker Sergio Matau Rapu, explores the modern dilemma of their people who risk losing everything to globalizing effects of tourism. The film follows four islanders, descendants of the ancient statue builders, who work to tackle the consequences of a rapidly developing home. Mama Piru leads recycling efforts to reduce trash. Mahani and Enrique use music to reunite their divided community, and Sergio tries to understand the motivations of his father who embraces the advantages of building new businesses. These stories intertwine to reveal the complexities of development and the contradictions within all of us as we face the hard choices about our planet's future. And the film is called Eating Up Easter, and we're joined today by the director of the film Eating Up Easter, and that would be Sergio Rapu. Sergio, welcome to Film School. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed your film a lot, and I, I appreciated it for this what this complexity, the different avenues that you're pursuing in this film, the different storylines you're pursuing in this in this film, and the way that you're able to kind of weave them together in this wonderful narrative about life on Easter Island, or as it's or as it's known to the people of the island, uh, Rapa Nui. Tell me a little bit about sort of the the catalyst to to make the film. Uh, I mean, I I understand that sort of the, yeah. the the transition into a more modern society, but was there a moment? Or was there a series of sort of uh, immediate events? And you said to yourself, "I really need to do this." Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, um, being a native Rapa Nui and essentially working in production in the U.S., there aren't, there aren't very many Rapa Nui uh, who work in production. I mean, there's probably um, three people, and I'm, and I'm the only one in the U.S. doing it. You know, for, for the longest time in my career, I've wanted to tell a story about the Rapa Nui people, uh, about my island, uh, because there haven't ever really been stories from our perspective. They've always kind of been told from the outside. That interest, along with always, you know, traveling down. I, I no longer live on the island, but I travel at least once a year. Every uh, um, In doing that, you know, the changes uh, that are happening there because of this booming tourism industry, because of, you know, as you mentioned, global, globalization and all, and all of that, like those changes you can see happening very quickly. It's a tiny little island. There are like 10,000 people that live there today. When I was born there, there were 2,000 people living there. And so you introduce anything new, even at a very small scale, you know, sort of, it sort of affects uh, everything else. You know, it's so like putting like a, a drop of food coloring into like a, it's a little glass, you know, and it sort of changes um, the, the water in that glass. You know, there was an urgency to document these changes that were happening. There was an urgency to tell a story from the Rapa Nui perspective, we started searching for what is a modern-day story to tell? Um, what is something that is not just about the past, not just about the statues, but includes 
you know, sort of the faces of the Rapa Nui and the Rapa Nui speaking about the issues today. And so it was, uh, you know, we started exploring that about six years ago, um, really hoping to tell a story about food security on Easter Island, Mm -hmm. really because we do not grow our own food. The vast majority of stuff that we import uh, or needs to be imported from Chile this is kind of where the title came up, you know, eating up Easter. Ah, this is going to be about food and food security on the most remote island in the Pacific. Uh, but as we started drilling down into that, we realized, well, when we bring food to the island, packaging comes with that. Uh, trash comes with that. When you change the diet of people on the island, that also affects health and all of this. And so we realized that the story we're actually finding is how do we balance our culture with a rapid development of the island and still essentially try and become sustainable uh, in in a modern day as maybe your ancestors did a long time ago. Mm. Let's get some of the sort of the the facts and figures out about Rapa Nui. Um, What's the size of the the island? Yeah, uh, the the island is very small. Um, It's it's a similar and in um, square mileage to Washington, D.C., if you sort of cut it out of the, of the states and threw it into the ocean. Gotcha. Um, but what, it, what that equates to is basically you can drive across the island in 20 minutes. Uh, you can drive halfway around the island in about 45 minutes. Um, it, it takes a five-hour flight from either Santiago, Chile, or Tahiti in order to get there, and it's completely alone. It's it's one little island. In fact, years ago, it's where they used to put the legend on on a lot of the maps because there's just like nothing else around it, you know. Um, so it's it's really tiny. We uh, we have a population of about ten thousand people now, four thousand of which are native Rapa Nui. Uh, we get around one hundred and twenty thousand tourists a year. So if if you do the math, you know, that's kind of a ratio of one local person to 12 tourists. Um, the ratio of Hawaii, for example, which is a much bigger population, a lot more land, is probably one local person to eight tourists. So um, we're getting just a lot, a lot more. Um, and, and that number just of uh, tourists just keeps escalating every year. And what I did not know until I saw your film was that Rapa Nui is under the jurisdiction of Chile, which I did not yes. know. And yeah. yeah. And, and as you as I think your father says in the film, okay, the it narrated that this is the the most remote community on the planet. Yeah. Yeah, the uh the mayor uh that's actually oh. the, the mayor of, of uh Rapa Nui says that it's okay this sounds very similar in the film. Yeah. But yeah, okay. The, okay, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So the mayor, <laughs> yes. The, yeah. Uh um so so there's those, those are sort of I just wanted people to kind of have an understanding and and I and you you talked about it uh, at the beginning and that is sort of what we know about Easter Island is what we've seen in the uh, movies 
we've seen, uh, and I didn't even remember in the film. There's a there's this sort of turning point in in the culture of Rapa Nui with the film production by Kevin Costner, which I didn't remember the film. I'm sorry to say I don't remember anything else about it except that it had a tremendous yeah. impact. But what we know yeah. about the Easter Islands tends to be through the under the sort of the 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 uh, lens of something that's either film related or or it's science fiction or there's something unusual or odd about the, is that the right way to put it? Something out of the yeah. ordinary about the island. It, it's always framed in that way. Something extraordinary. Totally. Is that, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a you know if you think about it, it's, it's completely obscure. Yeah. There there are there are no other islands in the Pacific that have massive stone statues like like how we do. The culture, like what happened on the island, my ancestors essentially building these statues as representations of powerful people and kings in the past, um, culturally, that's expressed in different ways in different cultures. But, you know, to make massive two to ten ton statues that are like, you know, 15 to 30 feet high, like that's completely obscure, right? So <laughs> it, it, obviously, it, it, like, it, it, it makes people be like, who did that? Why did they do that? You know, and that's 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 natural questioning. <laughs> sure, it is. Well, sure. Well, let's talk about the the the, the community and and also mm-hmm. the people you focus on in the film, as we alluded to in the introduction. Mama Piru, am I saying that? I'm saying that correctly? And and then uh, Mahani and Enrique, they're a couple, and they're uh, they just found some really wonderful people. And let's not forget your father, who is also yeah. a very important person, not only in your own life, but also in terms of the development of the island and what sort of what he brings. He brings a particular kind of perspective to the film and yeah. to into the community. Rapa Nui. Yeah. So begin where you yeah. want to. Uh, do you want to talk about because Mama Peru is such a remarkable uh, presence in the film, such a dynamic presence, oh, yeah. and she is she's a one to speak her mind. That's for darn sure. And uh, <laughs> but she but she's in charge of sort of the recycling efforts, which really is this kind of gateway into this idea of how is modern life impacting the island. Yeah, Mama, Mama Peru was known for a long time as just the big cultural leader. Uh, on the island, uh, sort of, you know, a lot of people, including myself, feared her a little bit because <laughs> she was so direct and honest. Uh, you know, she would call you on your, you know, on your crap. Like she, if she didn't like you, she would tell it, tell you uh, to your face and all of your family. And so, um, and and her and her family are very much like this, like all, all uh, you know, her siblings and things. When I realized that she was running the recycling center, I was like, oh, holy crap. I, I actually, I need to engage her, and I'm not sure how it's going to play out. You know, so we, you know, I walked in, in uh, obviously, ahead of cameras and things, and I explained to her that I really wanted to tell a story, first and foremost, to educate tourists who are coming or Westerners who know nothing about the realities of Easter Island. And I wanted to interview her. I wanted to show the recycling. I wanted to show the trash issues in her very, like, rough way. I mean, you see it in the film, too. But um, she accepted, you know, she accepted to be part of the project with open arms. Like, all the walls melted away. Because here is a Rapa Nui finally wanting to tell the Rapa Nui story. You know, I was not a, a filmmaker from L.A. or Germany or wherever, trying to do this. And so that, you know, that 
for her as well as for Mahani and Enrique were like very important points that I would tell an honest story, you know. And if I wouldn't, I mean, she, you know, <laughs> she knew where to find me and she knew all, that all of my relatives would, would, would keep me honest, right? Well, um, so, so she was just, a, yeah, she, she was an amazing character, um, a, a wonderful inspiration for the film and continues to be. I mean, like, our experiences with her have drastically changed how my wife and I live here in Minnesota uh, in terms of the waste that we produce. Yeah, and it, it, she's yeah again she's an such an important part of the of the film. She's an important part of the community, and she brought yeah. such a um, such a presence. and And I think for one of the things that I learned about uh, Rapa Nui is that uh, there are a, a number of different communities on the island. She seems to be one of those people who, in this position that she occupies tries to cut through whatever whatever that is in the, in a in a positive way in a very forceful way i think she's always respectful yeah. on some level but at the same time she doesn't she doesn't suffer fools gracefully and so right. i think i think i mean to sort of a would you call her a st- despite her sort of you know her her tendency towards uh to uh be unfiltered at times do you was she was she a moderating um element within the community or what how would you characterize that part of her oh uh no not at all i mean like <laughs> she you know she was never a middle of the road person well she was never she always spoke her mind okay. um okay. first and foremost yeah but she had so much love for her people yes for the land for the community that that also never left you know um she uh she came from her as well as my dad because it's the same generation they came from a time in the island where there was one ship a year there was maybe one airplane every like two or three weeks the road there were no two-story buildings the roads were dirt like and you depended on each other and you depended uh, on your community and so that love for one another is there and and, and continues to be there. Um, And, um, you know, whereas, you know, my dad, if you want to talk about him a bit, like he's, he's a politician. He's very much a a middle of the road type of person. Yeah. He gives his opinions in the film, but, you know, he understands that there's always going to be conflict in a community, uh, you know, or in a world, in a country and you need to be able to understand both sides of it in order to mediate that conflict. Getting you know him to pick a side was a bit tricky initially um, at the beginning of the film, but um, I think you know his opinions about moving forward in development, um, um, essentially ensuring that the Rapa Nui take hold of and guide the the way that their island um, is changing was very important for him, you know? And so he almost balances this, this other side to Mama Pidu, where, where she very much wants to go back to the past, to go back to how things used to be. So, so, and then we have Mahani and Enrique, this young couple, both musicians, both, you know, sort of educated outside, but coming back in. When we, we, when we were show, showing early cuts of the film, people just kept saying, Oh, they ju- they just look fake. Like they're beautiful. They their music is amazing. Like 
well, like, I don't believe that they're real, you know? And so we almost had to go back a little bit and go through our footage and be like, okay, what are, what are the moments that people will feel, you know, maybe that Mahan um, and Jika are flawed a little bit or that mm-hmm. they do struggle with difficult things and try and put a bit more of those in because mm-hmm. it just seemed like very idyllic, this sort of, you know, young couple living on a, you know, tropical island with palm trees and blue skies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I can see so, that. I can understand why some people would. I want to get to that, but uh, but first I want to remind our listeners yeah. we're speaking with Sergio Rapu. He's the director of a new film called Eating Up Easter, and it, it's a documentary film, and it is going to be screening at the, the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. The, the film Eating Up Easter is screening on Saturday, May 4th. Going back to um, Mahani and Enrique, what they're sort of to me represent in the film is this attempt on their part to reconcile the, the, the past, the culture of the past, the ways of the past, the ways of living, and to some extent re-embracing this, the new sort of wave of modernity coming into the island. But the trick of what they're doing is they're, they're proactive they're not just sort of adapting to the uh, sort of a new wave of of population of you know tourism and the rest of it. They're they're very proactive. They're trying to sort of bring these different elements together in their music, but also in their attempt to build a music school to engage the community to re- keep in touch with their their an- ancestral past. But as well as understand that there's a there are a lot of opportunities that are also available, and your father to an extent is doing this. But they're they're they seem to be more in a more traditional modality of of going about that than your father, who is seems less so. And if this is a mischaracterization, please is that is that fair? No. No, I mean, like, you're, you're absolutely on it. You know, like, they, um, when we started filming with them, they, they seemed sort of just very um, idealistic, you know, like, they had sort of vague ideas. And um, in filming with them, I was like, oh, man, like, this isn't going to work. Like, they don't have anything solid to stand on for their big ideas. And, and, and the, the, more I, um, the more I followed them, I realized that, no, like, their ideas of, community, providing services for free for, for, for children, like at teaching the culture, teaching the language, those types of things were really a throwback to Mama Peter's time, you know, this older time where you have very little, so you share everything and everything is for free. You know, people, you have an investment in the community and the sort of positive good for everybody. But then you also then contrast that to, well, uh, life requires money, you know, in order for us to have uh, teachers to be able to to teach these students. We need to be able to teach, uh, pay those teachers so that they can feed themselves, so that they can get themselves to and from the school, like those types of things. And so um, what Mahani and Njike are doing is they they are taking the essence of of Rapa Nui, what you, Rapa Nui used to be 30, 40, 50 years ago, and trying to connect it to um, the problems that we are experiencing today on the island 
and and trying to find sort of that past present solution, you know, to those things. Um, it's, it's a very difficult thing. I mean, like both of them could just like throw up their hands and, you know, go guide tours and they would make tons of money and be fine. But they're not doing that. Right. Right. And she, Mahani is, is an accomplished pianist and, and who's traveled the world. She, you're absolutely right, but they're committed. And that's what is so great about this, about their being in the film is they're living the life that they're they're describing. I mean, you know, sort of live the mm-hmm. life you you want others to live, and and they are, and they're raising a child, and they're. I assume that they're very well respected. They seem to be in the film. Certainly, yeah. some people seem to gravitate to them, and uh, this is a, this is going to be an. Uh, it sounds like for the island, this is going to be a continuing process for them moving forward, and they are yeah. a, a, an example of how. With some struggles, no doubt, you can make it work. Right. And and let's yeah. let's talk about your dad. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, uh, he was the he was he the um, he was the governor. Yeah. So he was the first native governor uh, of Rapa Nui. Once it was sort of it's been governed by Chile for a very long time, and then sort of the navy, the Chilean navy, took control of it. Uh, but he was a he was uh, appointed as the first governor of Rapa Nui, and uh, has also uh, training in archaeology. I mean, he has um, you know he was trained. He got a master's degree in archaeology uh, in Wyoming, you know, out of, out of all places. And so um, throughout his life, he's always kind of been you know a, a political figure on the island. Um, and also uh, working in sort of the preservation of our sites uh, and our culture. He, uh, I talk a little bit about it in the film, but he's restored several of the statue sites. So some, uh, several of the sites where the statues are standing. And so he's, you know, sort of a, a well-respected leader in the community. You know, I would say within the last five or ten years, um, he's started essentially um, becoming a developer. You know, he saw... That there, that that there should be a grocery store. There's a need for a grocery store in the in the main street of town. So he built that, and he and he ran that. There was a, a, a school that was needed need, needing to be built. So he built that, and and he ran that. While he's still kind of doing the archaeology and politics kind of thing, he's very much become somebody who is trying to create. Uh, and provide sort of these these modern needs and maybe luxuries for this changing population on the island. You know, which may piss some people off, may make people like really happy because it's like, oh great, we now finally have a grocery store that has X Y Z here. You know, in my process and in, in working on the film uh, with my wife and I, who's also a co-producer on it, we realized that I myself had some conflicting thoughts about what my dad was doing because we all tend to think that our childhood is the best times in our life, you know, when when the streets were uh, dirt, when there were no sort of grocery stores and things like that. But then when you start thinking about, I don't live on the island anymore, at least for like um, a consistent period of time, like it is unfair for the people who do live on the island to not have access to good education, good health care, clean water, you know, these types of things. And so who am I to deny them? the benefits of, of the modern world. 
Yeah, there it is. I, I mean, th- there are there are things that the modern world has to offer that are not destructive or destroy soul destroying. That are actually practical things that have made lo- people's lives much better, and can continue to improve people's health and educational levels. And there are things that so uh, there are all kinds of things. So this is the tension. This is the tension that it, that, that uh, going forward in the film eating up Easter. By the way, it's this is uh, the film festival is run through uh, Visual Communications. That's a, a sort of the umbrella outfit that that runs the festival, and they do such a fantastic job every year. And uh, they continue to support filmmaking all year round. So it's you can go to, uh, I believe, vcmedia.org to find out more about that as well. Now, yeah. who's distributing your film? Yeah, so um, we actually uh, in the U.S. Uh, independent lens uh, on PBS picked up the film, okay. so that, that was um, that was a you know great surprise uh, to us. But uh, it will be airing nationally on PBS um, later on this year in their in their upcoming uh, season for Independent Lens. But it will be a shorter version, so people should still go to the festival and watch the festival version. Those are you know that's sort of the novel, where where sometimes the PBS broadcast feels more like the cliff notes of the novel. And then we have for our international sales, uh, Espresso Media out of the UK um, is is doing that. Um, and then we um, uh, additional distributors are uh, Cartemplin Films out of Chicago. They yes. were a co-production partner on this project. Very so good. yeah, yeah, you're working with uh, Gordon uh, Quinn is one of the. Uh executive producers, as well as Betsy Steinberg, who uh, you mentioned, Cartem Quinn, is uh, one of the premier uh, production places uh, for independent film, especially documentary film, uh, in in working. I mean, they're incredible. So, well, congratulations to all of it. I really appreciate your time today. And uh, once again, we've been speaking with Sergio Rapu, the director of the film Eating Up Easter. Sergio, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.